Hello, good evening, and welcome to the 50th episode of The Game is About Glory. Break out the champagne, toast us, hail us, revere us. We are here after 50 episodes, and by golly gumdrops, we're going to be here for 150 more at least, and that's a promise. It says huge cheers here. I'm assuming that they're echoing from all around the world. Don't you think, Ram? Don't you think, Milo? Absolutely. 100%. I'm sure you will have guessed that Ram and Milo are joining me this evening. Hello, chaps. Hi, yeah. Hey, Steph. Good. Well, uh, I should be uh, honest with everyone. I think the mood is a bit somber tonight as we look back on the match at the Stratford Retail Park earlier today. Between our good Spurs selves and West Ham United, it's never a fun 90 minutes, is it? Uh, but ultimately, it proved to be a possibly more frustrating afternoon than even usual against them. Uh, we will also look back at our footy craps table trip to Vitesse Arnhem earlier in the week and weigh up the evening's gamble, both long and short term. But... Before that, we must kick off the pod with our obligatory intro question, which is, what's the worst job you've ever had? The worst job I ever had was with Jane Mansfield. You know, she was a fantastic bird. You know, she had... Ram, don't tell me what Jane Mansfield had. Tell me what the worst (laughs) job you've ever had was. Uh, Okay, I took a five-year break from the career I've... I've generally always had my my consistent career to go into recruitment with a friend's creative agency, recruitment agency or whatever. Um, And it wasn't it wasn't the worst job in that it was, you know, I'd work with nice people. um, It was fun at times, but I'm just shit at sales. So I spent four and a half years of the the whole time thinking, what am I doing here? Why have I changed from a career I love to join this agency doing something I don't like? Um, and and working in a position that I'm really really bad at, but you know, try try and sell us, try and sell me and Milo something right now. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> I am going to sell you the dream of Spurs finishing in the top four. And to no, sorry, no, I'm <laughs> even a great sales. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You're abs- <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely <laughs> shit, Milo. <laughs> I was really hoping that Ram was going to say something to do with lobsters then. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's going to... Do you think anyone is going to get this? Or is it just me and you? We bring up Pete and Dud a fair bit, don't we? So We certainly do. <laughs> I must just add at this point, I did watch Arthur again last night, which is, of course, just Dudley Moore. And it was fantastic. Forget the remake with that West Ham supporting comedian uh watch the original with with dudley it's brilliant sorry milo i've interrupted you again in in record time actually (laughs) my quickest interruption of the season (laughs) the the worst job i ever had i I had um a job in the um in a pub in um in the city the landlord was uh was an alcoholic an aussie alcoholic and uh so i'd turn up i'd get there about half eight something like that and he'd give me the keys and then he'd bugger off and do a pub crawl in the city of london during the day and then he'd kind of turn up again about kind of I don't know, nine half nine at night very 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 lubricated and i'd give him the keys back and and clear off i was getting paid i was gonna say it was, it was pre-minimum wage but i was getting paid peanuts for basically running the place while he was out on the lash and kind of all the problems with that but what really got me was i was looking after the cellar and everything as well and um i'm quite picky about my, my cellars i like them to be nice and tidy i like everything in its place so i'm you know i'm quite fastidious, I have, fastidious I have about no it doubt. and um I'd, I'd, I'd 
you know, uh, b- bottle up every, every, everything nice and tidy. And I come in the morning and all the crates and bottles are on the other side of the cellar. And I, I don't believe in ghosts. I'm not superstitious. But for a while I thought, I must, be, I must have a poltergeist or something moving all these crates. But no, it was just a piss landlord who'd come back from uh, after a day on the lash and just change the cellar and just screw everything up. <laughs> So I could, I could go on for ages about problems with that job. And so what, what, where was this again? I'm not going to name it. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 was just, it was just around the corner from the hotel you stayed in uh, when you were in London a couple of weeks oh, ago, yeah. Steph. So. <laughs> oh. so if anyone wants to know exactly where this establishment is, you can please contact the Game is About Glory and we may very well give you the address you see. Well, it sounds like, a, sounds like the sort of um, pre-pandemic night out that... Uh, we all once used to enjoy, if you will. He's circling. He's not so sure what I mean, and I'm not so sure what I mean either. <laughs> Interestingly enough, let me ask you this. Do you think he knew that uh, you were somewhat fastidious about your sellers and was like, just oh, trying to wind me up. I was going to fuck, I don't, I'll go fuck with him. I, 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 we never really exchanged. We never really talked that much. It was pretty much, you know, here's the keys. I'm going off on the lash and then uh, took took them back when he came back. So, it, you know, in the whole time I worked there, I didn't work there long. I, I, I think I lasted about a few months, got pissed off with the whole thing and, and kicked it in. What pissed you off more? Him being out on the lash all the time or the fact your cello is being fucked with? Um, not getting paid for the job I was doing, I think, was probably what pissed me off yeah, most. In that I was, I was running the place and getting paid three quid an hour, yeah. you know. So, <laughs> um, so that was that was what pissed me off the most. And then the seller getting fucked with. Yes. Well, in current conservative terms, surely you should just be levelling up in those mm. situations, right? We've all got to level up. That was your chance. You blew it, <laughs> so it's on you. Uh, my worst ever job, I was taking a part-time job uh, to save to, to move to America when I was a teenager in between writing and so on and so forth. And I ended up working at a really, really dodgy local factory for a few hours a night, three times a week. And basically you had to lay out these long layers of vinyl, like plastic, not vinyl as in record polyurethane type vinyl uh seven high and i had a mold and what i was doing was i being this giant industrial clicker presser thing and it would press out shapes seven deep and these would be then folded once and stitched into glasses cases and i remember that the guy who ran the factory which i have to say was probably one of the most unsafe heavy machinery factories i could imagine used to sit under a single string light bulb with a fan behind him and he looked like the jailer in midnight express who beats the guy who beats um uh, the lead character's feet. So if you've ever seen Midnight Express, and by mm. the way, if you haven't, you should see it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an excellent film, albeit very hard to watch. Uh, the worst job, the worst job I ever had, the boss looked like that bloke, the foot whipper. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> we'll go. To, let's let's just go to the week that was uh, from our uh, worst jobs you've ever had. And, and those were fun to hear. I, about, say, I wonder what, <laughs> I, was, I was just looking at, I was looking ahead to the notes, um, Steph. I was, I was saying, the first person up here, I wonder what the first worst job he ever had was. <laughs> That's a great question. In the week that was, uh, Milo has just asked what the worst job this person we're about to talk to has ever had. This person uh, is um, is Steve Bruce, who obviously has no connection with Tottenham Hotspur. However, what has happened to him at Newcastle has a connection to everyone, I think, uh, well, not just involved in football, but in life in general. Um, and since his sacking last week, he's been very open about the abuse he received in his time at New- as Newcastle manager, ranging from people saying things like, hope you don't 
dive from COVID to more general yet abusive comments on a regular basis about um, his physical appearance. And, and one of the quotes that he gave that stood out, um, it has been very, very tough to never really be wanted, to feel that people wanted me to fail and saying I would fail, that I was useless, a fat waste of space, a tactically inept cabbage head. You know, there are rumours that the club had to occasionally clean up piles of cabbages which have been left by helpful supporters and I just don't know who would have the time to buy a cabbage, go to St James's Park and leave it there. Um, and again, we're not here to protect Steve Bruce per se because, you know, fair criticism is fair. Unfair criticism is not. And personal abuse, like Bruce received, affects everyone. Does it not, chaps? Not just Steve Bruce. It's not just about Steve Bruce, is it? I just thought it was really unfair. I, I think take away what uh, and any person in any position in any job shouldn't be getting the abuse that he got and it really is it, it really is sad to to hear about the abuse that he was getting um considering he was also you know he he was a local lad he's a he he was a he should have been revered as a you know kind of a returning hero in those parts i understand where he came from as well in terms of the other clubs he played for or managed but yeah i don't think he, at any point he wasn't trying to do his best and i think if you hear from you know um the players that were under him they seem to say that he he really mm. protected them and he was he was a real he was a real gentleman and a really good man manager to get that level of abuse irrespective of his performance is just unacceptable yeah i'm not his biggest fan as a manager but uh, no one deserves that kind of treatment i think him saying about the effect it had on his family um and that maybe being a reason why he will quit management here i think is quite sad i thought that sent maxman's um message mm. uh, about him was really uh just really a sweet message um for obviously mm. someone he looked up to and someone who helped him very much in his career so far yeah i mean look the, i think for me it, you know it, it all points his message as you say so maxman's message was great and what you said, Milo, about the family is absolutely right. Uh, you know, this is where these tentacles of, of negativity really, really start to become incredibly toxic and really, really harmful. And, you know, repetitive abuse. I mean, look, we can all chuckle. We'll cabbage this. Yeah, once or twice. If you keep on hearing that, if you keep on hearing simple schoolyard insults, mm it becomes a very negative loop and it does make you start to really doubt yourself in a deep level, especially in this modern era. And I just, I think, you know, where we're tying it in um, to somewhat Spurs related stuff, you know, there's been plenty of players in recent past and uh, who have received, uh, you know, absolutely awful uh, abuse, um, you know, and it just, nobody should be subject to cowardly and egregious behavior from behind a keyboard. And my rule is never say anything online. You wouldn't say to someone's face. That's my person. I think, you know, actually when you talk about his performance, uh, Newcastle's performance under him was broadly along the lines of it was under his predecessor. And, um, you know, if you look at how Newcastle have been doing over the last you know, ten or so years. I think you probably need to be looking at the boardroom rather than the manager's. You know, the manager's seat. I agree. And again, you know, the point of this is, I think that you know, in, in the week that was, and we're going to come on to that. It's going to be actually quite relevant uh, in in a few minutes. Uh, you know, but people will will hear where we are, where we're going with this. You know, people have to be very very aware that criticism is obviously valid. It's obviously necessary, uh, and it is one's right to criticise. But it has to be measured and it has to have legitimacy. And when it gets personal and when it gets hateful in the sense that it has for Steve Bruce and that it has for some of our players in the past, then it ceases to be criticism. It is abuse. And I think that we need to be very clear on drawing the lines there. 
I, I mean, look, I'll speak up. I criticise Jose Mourinho, as you all know, but I would never, ever uh, threatened him or his family or said anything stupid like that online or anything, quite simply because I wouldn't say it to his face. And anything I've ever said about him on this show, I'd be quite happy to share with him in person, uh, you know, because they're football comments. So, and comments about his character that maybe I don't know or don't understand, but I would never have gone to that that length. Um, so anyway, that being said, uh, let's get into what else happened, which was the craps table gamble, as I called it, in Vitesse earlier in the week. We lost 1-0. Uh, Milo, what were your initial thoughts on how things shaped up and the gamble that was indeed taken? So in terms of the gamble, I don't think we really know whether it paid off or not until um, I think it's December the 9th, I think is our, our last um, group game. I think this was Nuno's only chance to rest the first team between now, midweek, between now and Christmas. We've got Vitesse at home next, then we've got Moura away, and then our last game is Wren at home. And if we win the group, and if longer term, the players having a rest, so, you know, that, I don't think that's necessarily um, about today's game. It's about fatigue and how, how we get through the Christmas period. Yeah, if we win the group and the players look for you know look fresh at the turn of the year then you know possibly this is this is paid off but kind of through the lens of today um with a couple of losses on on, on the trot it doesn't kind of feel like a great, a great decision at the moment does it in in terms of the game itself um i think you know we've got to bear in mind it was a scratch side um they've never really played together before i think it's unbalanced right the way through the through this lineup i think that there's issues and unbalanced scratch sides playing against well-drilled opponents um even if they're not as good as you on paper you know we've seen that time and time again and you know what comes out of that with the result of that i don't see the value in playing a completely different 11 in competitions personally i think we should rotate for sure i um, but i think for consistency and momentum i simply don't agree with it i think that you know when we've got players that after the newcastle game it was a good result uh we had some players uh that performed really well maybe keep a selection of those players and and add in the fringe players um just to keep that momentum going to keep uh, that uh the w the W section um, in in the in the green, but I, you know it wasn't great, was it? I, um, I'll admit I only watched the extended highlights because I wasn't able to watch it live. But we should probably credit ourselves for keeping it to one nil, as there are no mugs um, for Tess, and um, you know, and it was a scratch side, and, and we managed to keep it to one nil. We did have a you know a couple of chances here or there, but I just. In light of what's happened today as well, um, I, I, I take your point, um, Milo, that obviously maybe we should be looking further ahead in terms of, you know, um, will, will this have paid off um, halfway through the season? However, for me, I feel like we put, put in this uh, scratch 11 side with the West Ham minding game. So with the very next game in mind, and obviously it didn't pay off in my mind. Mm. Um, and with that, with that, you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't think I thought it was a bit of a futile exercise, but um, but perhaps, as you said, perhaps in come January, we'll have players that are a lot fitter than their counterparts. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that's a fair point. And my, my preference is with rotating is, you know, three or four per game, rolling it through so, so everyone gets a break over a longer period of time rather than a chopping and changing. And um, some of the comments from the players after the game, you know, one of which we'll come on to, um, has suggest, uh, you know, does suggest that there's a bit of a kind of A-team, B-team feel about mm. it. And the players who feel that they're in the B team uh, might resent that. It's not not necessarily the best thing for um, for team morale. Mm. As a positive, uh, you know, well done to Mark and Dave being the first player of South Asian heritage to to make a full team full 
to make a full team debut for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and a really promising player he is too. And I, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of him. And uh, actually, one of the players I felt very sorry for on Thursday because I thought his performance grew through the game and uh, crescendoed with a penalty that he should have had that he did not get was Dane Scarlett, who I thought, you know, looked mm. a little out of his depth at first there, trying to find a pattern, as you would with a side that you're not used to playing in. But I actually thought he was really um, having an increasing impact and f- seeming to be uh, more of a presence in the game. And I, I felt he was denied a clear penalty and it's something we're going to come on to later. You know, these decisions, which we just seem to mm. politely let go, I'm not really too sure about that. Um, with Scarlett, I think it's probably the right, the right decision to take him off. He looked very, very frustrated when he got the yes. yellow card for the foul on the keeper. Yeah, quite rightly so. Yeah, but it, but it looked it looked like it got to him, and I think it was probably probably yeah. for his benefit that he came off. Um, I don't think we're playing to his strengths um, no. in, in Europe. I think he, you know he's, he's an out and out goal scorer, and we're not creating enough for him, which is a, a theme we might come back to later on. I, as I said <laughs> earlier on, I, I think the side was bad, badly balanced. You've got um, two fullbacks who are going to stay at home fullback. They're going to they're going to sit back. The team plays very very narrow. So without the fullbacks pushing on, you've got no width. Winks and Lascelles are, aren't a great mix, and Winks particularly, um, I think, suffers in a side that uh, in, under Nuno's tactics, I think I think he's really unsuited to that. He's a tidy ball recycler, uh, but isn't very dynamic and isn't very good at playing progressive passes. And uh, Nuno doesn't want that. So Nuno's looking for very direct straight balls forwards, and that's not wing strength. So I just think the side is on to a hiding to nothing, really. Yeah, so let's pick up on that. There are several players we could go into, but we've discussed many of them in the previous weeks. But you did mention Harry Winks quite specifically there, and it's quite fitting because uh, Winks was indeed the player to speak to the press afterwards. And and he did speak with with unflinching honesty, actually, and possibly a little too open. Um, he gave an interview to Dan Kilpatrick of the Evening Standard uh, where he addressed the team's performance as well as his own position. And I'll just read you some quotes that uh, that uh, Milo put in the notes for us. Um, of course, my confidence is low. When players are not playing well and you only have yourself to blame, it's difficult. I want to be at my best, firing and playing really well. It comes with games, but ultimately it comes with me performing on the pitch when I get the opportunity. I love Tottenham. I've always made that clear, but I want to play football and I want to play regular football. And I will uh, just flit around here. He said, it's difficult when you you know, only get matches here and there and confidence is low because you don't get that run of games. He's speaking about uh, still being two months left uh, before the window in January and he's going to knuckle down and work as hard as he can. He's going to have a conversation with the manager. You know, what's fascinating is, and this is something you can never predict with notes, you know, we put these notes together and we think, well, there's a structure and it feels like it's going to fit. And, you know, the week that was and so on and so forth. But already we've hit several points that we're going to be repeating for a completely different fixture, in my opinion, and possibly completely different players. Um, so, uh, do you, I mean, number one, you know, thoughts on Harry Winks. And number two, do you think that what I've just said is fair comment? I thought it was good that he he took responsibility um, with those comments like he's not saying this is the club's fault this is the manager's fault I it's not fair I should be playing he said you know this is on me as well but obviously I do have to look at my future and I think that's a very mature way to look at it I think it's the correct way to look at it it's a very balanced way it is it's a shame with Winks this was a player that uh, you know we were talking about um, Pep Guardiola wanting at City you know at one point and I don't know if this could be a wider conversation that may be too much for you know this this pod in general but this 
you know, for Winks, read Delhi. It's players that mm-hmm. may not necessarily either be playing in their best positions or have been or uh, or have stagnated. Um, how much of that is their fault? How much of that is the club's fault? Or is it a, a very even mixture of the two? But mm. it, you know, it is a shame. He's a, he is a he's a Tottenham boy. We obviously, I, I can guarantee, no one wants him to fail. We all want him to do well. I think he's been uh, un, unfairly treated as well to some extent by by um you know some of the fan base uh, from what i've heard and seen mm-hmm. online and um you know and, and some of the comments that are made about him but I, possibly it is best for all parties if he if he does go on to sort of uh you know freshen up and somewhere somewhere new yeah yeah i mean that's what it sounded like to me it sounded to, sounded to me like he was opening up um to the possibility of a, a of a move in january um in the summer he's meant to have turned down moves because he wanted to stay and fight for his place I think realistically, I think he needs to move on to uh, get his career back on track. And I think um, if he picks his next move well and and picks a side that plays to his strengths, I think he could probably do quite well there. Um, I don't think, you know, I just don't think that um, he's well suited to our playing style. I just wanted to pick up briefly on what you were saying there about kind of how he's playing now at the moment. I think people underestimate the importance of form mm. and quite often get carried away when a player is on a hot streak and think that's permanent. And similarly, when a player is off form, think that they're, you know, they're just shit. Mm. And I, I, I think, it, you know, form is so difficult. You know, <laughs> here we are, kind of armchair pundits talking about this. You know, it's impossible to measure it. You can't, there aren't stats for it other than seeing that someone's performance has dropped off. But, you know, you see it time and time again, players who are written off, who come back and, 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 um, and, and you know, play well again. And I, I, I just think he needs a change. I think he needs a change. I completely agree. And, and you know, you're, first of all, Rem, you're absolutely right. This is a much deeper topic and it's possibly one we will revisit before the year's out because it's at the crux of everything that we're trying to wrap our heads around as a football club in terms of regeneration versus who stays versus who doesn't. And, you know, you've got two players here who are only, I believe they're both 25 years old. Mm. These are young men. They have been, they were not just ascended, they were stratospheric in a certain environment, in a certain atmosphere, with a certain style. And you do get the sense that we're now asking draftsmen to be plumbers. Well, with the greatest will in the world, that doesn't work, does it? Because plumbers do plumbing and draftsmen are draftsmen. So, you know, can you blame them if they don't fix your pipes quite as well as a plumber would? Uh, And can we blame them for not creating a fantastic, uh, you know, piece of work when we're only asking them to fix a pipe? It's, 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 we're as a club, it encapsulates everywhere we're at in terms of where do we go? Who do we change? And and where does that start? Because mm. it isn't just about Harry Winks and Deli Alley, is it? But it is a much wider mm. topic. Yeah, I just want to say, I think with Winks, it's um, less than a year ago, he was playing for England. Yeah. If the Euros hadn't yeah. been pushed back a year, he would have been in that England squad. So he's, he's played for England last November. Um, if, if the Euros hadn't been pushed back a year, he would have been in that squad. He possibly would have been starting. So it must be very difficult for him looking at what's happened in that year. And, and you know, realising that, you know, where he's got to. And, you know, Southgate really rated him. One thing I did want to pick up on, and this does kind of go back to the point you were making about Steve, you know, we were talking about Steve Bruce earlier on and, and, and Ram touched on this, um, is the abuse that Winks got online after the game on Thursday and, and, and actually much of the first team. I saw a lot of comments there around, you know, they're all shit. We've got a set of them all uh, and so on. And 
you know, occasionally when you see that, you see players kind of uh, copied into it, so you know, tagged into uh, uh, in, into those those messages. And I think people people need to have. A, I know that uh, people get upset after after a bad result, or you know, uh, you know, react react to it in different ways. But I think they need to think about the impact that kind of thing has. And um, you know, the Bruce story really brings that home. We know from the quotes from Harry Winks that he knows that he's off form. We we know that he's disappointed with his his own performances and 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 how it's going. Um, having someone telling him he's a wanker and shit really isn't going to help that. And as supporters of a club, you know, again, kind of tying back to that form comment, you know, even if Winks is off in January, at some point we might need him. And making him doubt himself, making him feel bad about it, making him feel bad about the way he's playing, isn't going to help. You know, it's not helping anyone. You're absolutely right, Milo. And and I think it shows that where when you mentioned Steve Bruce and Harry Winks and Delhi in 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 this in, in this scenario, where two of them are as we just said, young men. You know, in their mid twenties. Steve Bruce is a is an um is part of an, a different generation of uh, in football. You know, where men were men and all that. And for both of them to be able to be affected in the same way doesn't show that they're weak or that they're um you know they're they're they need to harden up or anything it shows that the abuse that they're getting is simply unacceptable and it it doesn't have any place at any point in any um facet of life no and i think there's a weakness with people who criticize well criticize who abuse i should say it's not criticism who abuse on that personal level in that personal way and then do this thing as milo said and they cheaply tag people it's like you know if you're one of those people, number one, I'm not sure why you're listening to us because we probably don't want you to listen to us, okay? Really, we don't. We don't, you know, be smarter. But if for some reason you find yourself in that place where you repeatedly want to call someone names over and over again and tag them in social media, we'll challenge you. Be better. Sit and think about how you would feel on the other end of that. Last but not least, sit and think how you would feel abusing that person in the way you might face-to-face -face with them. I mean, some of the abuse that Eric Dyer's had over the last year and a half is, is unconscionable to me. And I, I don't just say that because I'm an Eric Dyer fan. I think it's a disgrace. But I guarantee you, 99% of these morons wouldn't dare whisper boo to a goose to him because he would flatten them, and quite rightly so. But anyway... The week that was does seem to have gone into the weekend that is. I mean, it really does. There's a congruence, an unfortunate congruence in many ways, but a fascinating one in others with today's game against West Ham, which was another 1-0 defeat with a completely different 11 players. And and uh, Ram, why don't you start us off with, with your thoughts on, on, on the first half and how it seemed to be going with this re refreshed and revised team that I know you maybe we're not necessarily in favour of, but uh, here it was. How was it looking? The starting 11 didn't surprise me at all um i thought it you know it was uh, if, if am i correct and it was the exact same as the newcastle game right and villa and villa and villa yeah so it didn't surprise me at all and 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 at that point i got the decision to uh to rest those players for uh the the Euro europa conference league game um first half phew, uh, there was I just didn't feel there was any um, much urgency at the start. I thought obviously West Ham started really brightly. Um, we did, you know, we we held our own, but whenever we had the ball, it just felt like we just slowed the pace down. And then obviously there was the penalty decision, which I absolutely thought was a pen. And uh, I, when it when it happened, I thought it was a pen. When I looked at the slow mo, I was like, okay, VAR is going to give this. And then they it, detail detail it for us. And Dombele coming into the box. He got taken out. Um, it looked like he actually got trodden on. I don't think he was. It was. It was. Uh, he was meant to be trodden on. But, um, but you know, the player definitely got contact on him as he tried to get it past him. 
and uh, and I thought it was a penalty and and it wasn't given we didn't we didn't uh, no, no one really complained or or you know kind of went uh, to the referee I think Undombele was you know he, he seemed genuinely hurt um and he was he was quite frustrated by it I thought we ended the first half as we should have started it and uh, and I thought we should have been winning at that point then so you know there was the the story of the first half was West Ham started brightly we were very slow off the mark there wasn't much urgency but I think as as we grew into the game, as we kind of sort of came out came out of the blocks, I thought we started controlling the game more, and I felt that it was uh you know we 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 finished the half strongly. So from that point, I thought, okay, well, if there's more of this in the second half, then uh, we we could be getting a result here. Milo, if you would address, I'm obviously please give us your first half thoughts, but could you also specifically address something that I know you've spoken of for some weeks, which is uh you know the lack of width. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so the first thing I was going to say about the Undombele penalty is um, Undombele trod on the ball, didn't he, as he was going through. And I think maybe just kind of the, the bobble of it and the the way the way um, the ball moved away conned the ref a bit, a bit and um, or ref misread it. And as we've seen this season with uh, with VAR, they're not overturning decisions. They've got to be wildly, wildly wrong before anything's changed. And I think it was one of those ones that was in the grey area. Um, so nothing happens. Um, and I, I think Ndombele is a player who is uh, a little unfairly uh, judged by both fans and um, probably officials. But, you know, because of the way he runs, because he's got a slightly unusual style, um, I think he's probably one of those who doesn't get decisions his way because of that, because it looks a bit odd. Uh, so it's a little bit difficult, difficult to uh, to uh, judge. And I think as a result, of, I, th- I think that's also a lot of the reason why people think he's lazy. Couldn't agree more. It's just moronic, lazy cliches, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, even when he's at full pelt, he's just got a slightly unusual running style. And, and I think people um, misread that for... Uh, a lack of interest, or you know, <laughs> or other things. It's just, it's an odd well, one. He's also been called. He's also been called fat yeah. and, and, and and tubby. Language. I mean, it's just absolute, yeah. absolute rubbish. I mean, anyway, yes. So, well, I'm glad you brought that up because it, again, the way this episode is going, it seems to tie in back into what we were talking yeah. about, where the word words words have an effect. And maybe they do affect with Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this wasn't the point I was going to make at this point. But um, hmm. whilst it was a kind of 4-2-3-1 today, Ndombele had quite a free role in, in that he, he was popping up all over the place and dropping deep, which again was something I picked up on um, in last week's game. And <laughs> I was thinking during the game, have you, have you seen the Zidane, uh, uh, a 21st century portrait film with the um, fantastic Mogwai soundtrack? It's Yes. Yes, I have seen that. Yes, it's brilliant. I, I was, I'd love to see an Undumbele version of that yes. where the camera just, tra- <laughs> just follows him for 90 minutes and you watch yeah. him. Uh, I was watching, yeah. I, I was trying to focus on him. At, uh, without Mogwai, without Mogwai playing in the background, if you don't mind, <laughs> like a di- different band, but that's just my personal taste. So, um, I wasn't sold on it, but as you don't like it, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't like them because they once said that Metallica were the worst band ever or so. They were very rude oh, they, about Metallica yeah, at one point. So I systematically have to dislike them, you see, Mogwai. because of that. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> to keep Steph happy, we'll have Aqua doing the soundtrack. <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> they love Metallica. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, very good. <laughs> and no, I was, I was watching him during the first half. Uh, yeah, well, no, it was the first half. It's it's fascinating to to watch his positioning. There are there are phases where he looks completely disinterested, but then switches on. And again, I think people misread how how he is, how he behaves, and things like that. So I, I just think he's such an unfairly judged player, largely based on 
you know how he looks, how he how he acts, and he's a, he's a lot better than he's given credit for. I think that point you made, uh, Milo, in that you know he might refs might not give him the decision. I, um, I know when I first watched him play that uh, I was like, he's not in control of the ball yet. He's so in control mm. of the ball, but it just looks like he's going to lose it at any moment. But he's so yeah. good. But it's just it's just his style, and I think yeah. maybe that's where refs go. Well, he wasn't in control of the ball, so that can't be a penalty. But he he probably knew what he was doing two or three steps ahead of that. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. I think that's uh, what I was trying to say, but just um, concise and not wasting five minutes. And uh, Steph, <laughs> Steph, what was the question you asked me again? Width. <laughs> the width. The width. Yes. The width. Uh, <laughs> so um, the game today, the uh, the average positions of our midfield and, and front four were all within the width of the um, the six yard box. So we're playing very very narrow. And in terms of our fullbacks, uh, Reggie gets forward, but. Royal typically holds holds back and plays a bit deeper. You know, he gets forward on occasions, but more often than not, it's Reggie's getting forward rather than Royal. We we play very very tight, and that means that you know opposing teams. West Ham today dropped right off. Whenever we had the ball, they got eleven men back in uh, in their half. They were quite happy to let us have the ball in in our half, um, and you know wouldn't pressure us, wouldn't get drawn out. And Nuno's tactic is to play across the back, trying to draw a team out, create space, and then play through them. And West Ham weren't falling for that. With the narrowness, it means that you know, there's even less space that a, a defending team has to occupy. And if you can crowd that out, then those direct balls through the, through those lines, which is what Nuno wants to do, aren't there. We don't have the fullbacks who are going to get round that. So I think that's a real problem. And particularly, um, you know, after West Ham scored, we carried on playing the same way. We carried on trying to play through a packed middle. And West Ham definitely weren't getting interested in getting drawn out then. So I think it's a real problem. I think the same thing happened with Vitesse midweek. Um, and then we, you know, we had fullbacks who did, definitely weren't interested in getting forward. So it was even more of a problem. But you, you pack that, uh, the width of the six yard box with players. We're going to real stru- really struggle to get through. And it means even when the ball does get through, the forwards are, uh, are feeding off scraps. So I think it's a problem. And I think, you know, without, um, showing our hand too much for what will become a discussion about the last 20 minutes, I think we're, you know, this was happening in our WhatsApp thread. I mean, I was getting quite frustrated as, as you both know about what I consider to be, um, sort of a lack of personality, which as we were discussing in the thread is, you know, it, it, the players are playing to instruction. The instructions come from the manager. The manager himself is quite, uh, shall we say an erudite and quiet chap in that sense. Um, and, and so, you know, and also we, we should say at this outset, um, you know, we still, I think as a collective, don't blame him. He stepped into a job which, you know, he just might not be big enough for, but he's doing his very best. I, 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 we, we all believe he is, and he's doing his best. But you know, when you've got the likes of Kane and Son and 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 and, and Dombele on the pitch, who are all capable of winning you games if you just give them a little more, you have to wonder why it's not happening. I mean, you just spent five minutes talking about Dombele, and let's let's be fair, you could spend another five more talking about what he's got in his locker that we never we never seem to see. So there's a conundrum of issues building as we're watching this game. It's getting frustrating because we know that on paper we should be beating West Ham. But the truth is West Ham are, if not our equals, maybe a step above us at this point. We're trying to figure it out. Half time comes, you know, we all think that we should be a couple of goals ahead. I think Harry's blown a clear chance and so on and so forth lucas should have played the ball back for some oh for some. god yes yeah. oh my word thank you for reminding me of something i forgot. i mean that was just symptomatic 
of 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 the sort of the lack of awareness uh that that uh, that you know seems to to haunt us <laughs> sometimes in these positions because whilst it wasn't the only moment you're absolutely right i mean you know we were turning the text blue with that uh you know in terms of just fu- it's anyway basic football if a guy's standing 7 yards in front of goal who scores loads of goals and you can give it to him on a plate don't shoot when your back's to goal. I don't think Mora knew where anyone was, did he? I think he was the way he was turning. I don't no. think he knew what was going on. And I mean, that's the problem with quite. It's, it's the, that's the problem with quite. That's the problem with ca- cavernous athletic stadiums. You haven't got any bearings. You can't see the stands. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> so um, excellent. Well said. <laughs> Well said. So, of course, had that been in the confines of our own wonderfully constructed stadium, we'd be going in one nil up at half time. I agree. But let's go to the second half because you would have thought that we would have built on that first half, having started maybe relatively tentatively, but then I thought established a grip of the game. Mm-hmm. A tight game though yeah. it was. You know, I think we were, uh, if not a hundred percent comfortable, certainly eighty percent, and looking to kick on. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, we step out for the second half and. Basically, it seems that David Moyes has realised that, you know, he can just, you know, force force Tangy back a little more, you know, pack pack things out a little a little more in the middle. We're not going to adjust our tactics. We're, we're there for the taking. We don't seem able to step up. And I, I want to bring us to what was considered, uh, well, there were two key moments in the game, weren't there, really? First of all, Romero's got into it a little bit with Fornals, I think it is, Pablo Fornals, who, you know, had been... Seeking an Oscar performance uh, a few other times, you know, during the game. But this is football. This is modern football. Sadly, this is what happens. What do we think of that incident? Do we really think that Tottenham Hotspur Football Club 2021 is so volatile that like in Vitesse and like here, a vo- when the home crowd step up the volume, we can't we can't find our feet? I don't think it's anything to do with the volume. I thought West Ham, were pretty, the fans were pretty quiet from what I could hear on TV. I mean, in terms of what Romero did there, it looked to me like revenge. I think um, um, there was a foul on Rael, and he he was um, uh, he was making a point, and I think that's why he shouted afterwards, and I think um, you know continued to shout after that. So I think I think it was a bit of uh, sticking up for a teammate. I did think that as a team we um, were a little bit loose after that. Um, previously, I thought. We'd um, defended quite um, compactly and uh, had done quite well at you know, controlling the game. Um, and it felt to me that in the five or ten minutes after that, we got a little bit loose. I don't know whether we started chasing players rather than actually sticking to the plan. But it, yeah, it didn't, didn't, didn't look... Uh, as well organised as we were before that, I will say just just to just to counter, I, I, I mean, I agree with you on the television. It didn't sound any louder or not uh, at that moment. But uh, Antonio himself said afterwards that that was for him the catalytic moment of the game. That he said it was basically a game that was stumbling. I think it was Antonio. It was either Antonio or it was uh, Declan Rice. And apologies for not knowing which West Ham player it was. This is a Spurs pod. I know it was one of them. And and the word was basically it was they felt it was a catalytic moment that it really the game was stumbling along where there wasn't really much going either way and that it actually got the crowd into the game is what they said. Okay. Um so so something appears to have happened and look, I, I I'm sort of with you. I, I <laughs> I, I'm I'm all up for that. I, I think there should be more of that. I think we're back to Battle of the Bridge lessons in the sense of, you know, the big takeaway from that night many years ago is that we learned to fight for each other. And I thought it was really important. And I think it's something that helped us, you know, in the seasons in the seasons on. And 
I'd like to see more of that. So I was not, I didn't have a problem with it. I agree with you. But what I did have a problem with is we couldn't, we didn't seem to, to do much after it. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that I did disappoint me was to say, I mean, we were talking during the game, Steph, about how Dyer was talking to Romero uh, immediately after that. But Kane was stood at the other side of him, completely silent. And mm. um, I think that's one of those um, situations there where you need uh, your senior players to, to support uh, their teammates. And I think, you know, there's no reason why we couldn't use that as a catalyst in the same way that you're saying the West Ham players did. Correct. Um, and you, know, right. you galvanize it and you get a bit of a, um, yeah, you know, a bit of team spirit. You're standing up for each other. That's exactly what you should be doing. Um, and it becomes a bit of an us against the world thing, yeah. which can be, can be really powerful. I, I agree. And, you know, I, I have no problem with uh, Romero uh, reacting the way he did. And I, I felt that as a fan watching, I was like, well, that's galvanized me. Um, and I hope that translates to the players, you know, and, and I thought it might have done. And, um, and but but it, I I didn't know about those comments by who, um, whoever it was whether it was Rice or Antonio about it kind of being a catalyst for West Ham but um, but because uh, I didn't I didn't think it would be a catalyst for them I thought it would be a catalyst for us but you know fair fair play if it was uh, it's a shame we we couldn't personally um, um, capitalize on that um, if only we had a player I, I know there's a player at Sevilla who uh, right now who I think would be an interesting signing for us that uh, that could indeed be that sort of player that's a bit of a shit house. Uh, Argentinian lad, don't know if you remember his name. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, Reckless Eric, we <laughs> loved him. We loved him, uh, you know, but yeah. But let's move to the second uh, catalytic point, as has been said. And, you know, again, I think the wrong player is getting pelters. Reggie definitely made a mistake intercepting that ball and carrying mm. it out. There is no mm. doubt. He tried to skip. He tried. Maybe he was a little lighter on the ball than he should have been at that moment. A little stronger on the ball. Maybe he didn't read the situation. He got caught. He didn't pay for that moment. The ball went out for a corner. At that point, in my personal opinion, the player is somewhat divested of total responsibility for whatever may happen next. Admittedly, you don't want to give West Ham set pieces because that was quite possibly the only way they were going to get mm-hmm. ahead of us mm-hmm. today. However, let's look at that set piece. I mean, for me, there's only one There's one person who you can blame. You can blame whoever you want on the near post for not getting to it. That's fine. Maybe that should be cleared. Maybe that should be cleared. But there is ultimately one person responsible for, for that goal. Am I right if I say it's Harry Kane? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was his man. He was he was marking Antonio. I mean, Kane's probably one of our best six-yard box uh, defenders in yeah. in the team. You know, it's um, it's a position he's normally very strong in. He he got a couple of inches in front of him, didn't he? Get the shot away, and um, you know, it's fine margins. But I, I think you're right in terms of uh, it, it felt like a game where it was a set piece that that was going to be the difference if if anything happened and it could have gone either way it felt pretty stale other than that i think that uh in the uk on sky the commentator just just before the corner was taken even said that west ham are pretty strong with uh you know they're getting a lot of their goals from um set pieces i think um with kane um milo you're right that you know he is generally very strong at defending um corners but i think we're doing him a disservice i thought it was a great assist i thought he kept antonio (laughs) on balance and you know defended him from being challenged from any other tottenham players (laughs) well it's that you you make a point in jest that i think is worth looking at a little deeper because it isn't that he wasn't there he was Mm. there he was standing literally on top of him so how does that happen is he not focused he was behind him 
Antonio's got, got, you know, he's got that extra inch. He, he took a step towards the ball and, and got the shot away. Kane was behind him; he couldn't get to it. I think his reaction as well when, um, when, when it went in, when, when Antonio came in front of him and scored, I think Harry's reaction, I think, was I, you could tell in in his mind he was like, "Oh, that damn, that's on me." Kind of reaction, yeah. you know. I think we should also give some credit to Antonio. I think um, yeah. the improvement him in, in him as a player over the last few seasons is, is marked. Um, and he was excellent today. He's a real handful of mm. a player. And I used to think he was just a bit of a bully and not much else. But he's a lot more than that now. I mm. think I, th- I was really impressed with him today. Really? See, I think I've been very impressed with him the last couple of years. And I agree. I think he's a, he actually is the sort of player that I've looked at, especially uh, especially in the last uh, last season, uh, season before that even as well. I looked at and thought, wow, if only Poch could have got a hold of him. What a, what a player he would have been for Poch. He would have been, you know, would have given him some coaching that I think would have been just absolutely brilliant. Uh, as it is, you're right, he's had that with Moyes. But the most disappointing thing about that goal was until he got the march on, on Kane, which I don't think should have ever happened, I thought we had him in, I thought we had him on toast. I thought he was very quiet. I didn't think he was doing anything much today. I thought he was very I thought we were very comfortable, is mm. what I'm trying to say. Um and, and it was just that moment. So um I I'm not quite sure I agree with his excellent today, albeit I do agree with your overall appraisal that he is a greatly improved uh, striker and that perhaps we are doing him a disservice to just simply put that mm. On Harry Kane. But again, it is a Spurs podcast, so I'm going to look at it from our perspective and say that I think Harry's got to do a lot better there. <laughs> and then we come and then we come to what I think is possibly the most frustrating element of this entire football match. We are one goal down at the Stratford Retail Park. And basically, we know what's going to happen. We know that there's going to be, a, 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 you know, West Ham are going to sit as deep as they can. Uh, and that basically they're going to say, go on, do us. And I'm going to ask each of you, whoever wants to chime in first, were you disappointed with how we handled that remit, that task, that mandate for the last 20, 25 minutes or 20 minutes of the game? Could we have done more? Um, I think our manager could have done more. I hold the blame on Nuno, and I know we disagree on this. I think that he, he left it 10 minutes after the goal before he made a change. He, he brought on Hill and uh, and Lacelso, but Lacelso for Ndombele effectively a like for like change. So he's not changing much there. Hill was um, came on for Reggie, um, but ended up playing quite deep. So you know, it wasn't again. It wasn't a huge tactical change there. And I think you know, given that West Ham were going to sit back, and they, they sat back all day, all, all game. You know, again, if we look at passes per defensive action figures for them. As were at 11.3, so increased from, from the previous week, previous couple of weeks. West Ham's were 21.59. They weren't, in, the whole game, they weren't interested in pressing us in our half at all. And after the goal, that was only going to, uh, only going to be more the case. And, and, you know, we know this with West Ham. Moyes did it to us there last year, where they nicked an early goal and they sat back and soaked it up and, uh, and hit us on the break. You know, he out Mourinho, Mourinho last year. And this felt very similar to that to me. So I, I think the issue there at that point, you know, I've already touched on how narrow we're playing and a team sat deep like that we're just playing in, playing into their hands and I think uh, he needed to change things he needed to get some width in he needed to try and create some space and and he didn't do that even when he did make the substitutions so the obvious change for me bringing off Mora and for Lo Celso and, and play Lo Celso out on the on the wide right so he can play balls through because I think once, once you've got a deep set defense like that you need to pass your way through it you can't run through it very easily uh, Mora is a fine ball carrier he's a good presser um, and those are the qualities that he's in the team for. But he's not very creative, and I think he needs. I think he needs someone better on the ball. So I think you need to find a way of having Ndombele and Lacelso in the team together, who are our best two passers outside of Harry Kane. I would have kept Reggie on, so we've got width on both left and right. 
Um, and I and I don't think you know twenty minutes to go with a team that got no interest in attacking that you need to have Skip and Hoybier on the on the pitch. So I would have taken one of those off. For me, it would have been Hoybier, uh, and I would have and Brian would have been the player I brought on for that. And then that probably means that Ndombele is dropping deeper so he can thread balls through. And then you've got Brian, Son, Reggie, Lacelso, and Kane occupying that central space and, and with Ndombele running in from deep. I, he was very, very passive. He took a long time to make those changes. You know, Bergwin didn't come on until uh, pretty much the game being up. Uh, yeah, it's really disappointing. I think I think Nuno got it wrong. There's not a lot to disagree with with that. I think I think um, in terms of the, tactically, I agree with all of that. I, I really believe that you, there's no need for Hoybier and Skip um, when we're in a scenario where we're trying to get a goal back in the final, um, you know, final moments of the game. And I agree. You know, I agree that Lacelso should have been on the pitch with Andombele. I thought that Reggie for uh, Brian was a strange one. I thought when Brian came on, um, when he was able to get forward, he was being quite direct and he was trying to make things happen. You know, he didn't get a lot of opportunity, but you know, it seemed like we've, we we this like for like changing, like you said, it doesn't really work. If it's not worked for seventy odd minutes, let's change it up. We're one nil down. We need a goal. I think where uh, I'm, I'll, I'll disagree with you slightly. Because I do agree that it is on the manager, um, uh, but I made this point before we started the pod as well, and I'll just I'll, I'll remake it. When we watched Chelsea versus Brentford, Chelsea went one nil up. Brentford went all out, especially in that last part of the game to try and get the equaliser um, and 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 to try and win the game. And and they they weren't successful, but they they really went for it. Um, I believe that more often than not, in games that are on a on a knife edge like that. The, the opposing team that's looking to get the equaliser or, or get some impetus will more often than not bombard the other team's penalty area mm. um, and they'll really go for that equaliser. I felt like we didn't do that and I think that, yes, the manager has has to uh, uh, be blamed for that. But I also believe these players should have had the impetus to to take things into the, not into their own hands, but to try something different um, and to, to to just put some balls into the box. I mean, I think the difference there is that Brentford are a well coached side with a tactically astute manager, and we're not. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I'll come in first of all. I, I you know, again, yeah, I, I think you're a bit paranoid saying we completely disagree with you or whatever you said at the beginning of of, of what you said because uh, actually we agree with most of what you said. But there are a couple of places where I do firmly disagree with you. You're absolutely right. Not that it's my pleasure to do so, but I will spend time on those disagreements because I do disagree with you on them. <laughs> First of all, I do think that if you're going to make that substitution and bring the Celso on and keep Ndombele on, I would be switching them. I'd have uh, I'd have uh, Tangy going wide and I'd be keeping Gio in the middle simply because I think Ndombele is a player who will take people on and challenge. He may not have the speed, but he'll certainly take people on and get behind them, get into spaces. And I think at that point of the game, he would have been a really interesting option from a, wide, from a wider position. It would have given him a different perspective. And I think he would be very hard to defend at that particular moment of a game, especially with Joe in the middle. So I agree with the substitution. I just maybe agree, disagree with where I would have put players. And I, I have to say, uh, yes, absolutely. The manager has to have more tricks in his locker, uh, so to speak. He has to have more in his, to, you know, he has to have more tactical acumen when it comes to these moments and be able to switch the plan up, be braver, be able to uh, understand what is needed and what he has 
at his disposal in terms of the talent. And that's something I can't figure out with him, is at what point he would, in a game of this situation, trust his, the talent of his player versus the pragmatism of his way of playing. And there is a point which you have to give the players who you have the confidence in that last 15, 20 minutes, give them a bit of shake, give them a bit of structure, but let them and encourage them to step up. And I don't feel that any of our brilliant footballers Harry Kane, Sung Young Min, uh, you know, Tangy Min. I don't feel that they are playing with the confidence to make things happen. And I just felt with 20 minutes to go, make things happen. Get into those pockets of space wherever they are. Try and get a decision. Try and tempt someone into a foul. Just come in waves and keep coming. And I agree, we did not do that. We remained at the same pace as we were at the first minute. And I found that very confusing. Um, I, I think you're probably right. Milo, probably it does come from the top, but I expect players of, of and it's a lot of expectation on Kane. I understand, but he's earned the right to have that expectation put on his shoulders. I expect them to rise to this and to want it. You know, I mean, we all talk. Harry Winks was discussed earlier at one of the darkest periods of Mauricio Pochettino's form, so to speak, as a manager when we were at Fulham and trundling to a one-one draw. I remember Harry Winks absolutely busting a gut to get on the end of something uh, and score an injury time, score a winner with, with desire. I, I just, I, and I know that you don't like too much of the blood and thunder stuff, but I think there is room for, there's room for some of that as well. I, I think, I think we're in agreement on all of this, but I do think we're lacking. I think we're lacking some passion. I'm not seeing that. And I, I think as that is, am I being too fan by saying that? During the game, you went full John Terry, didn't you? You were badge kissing, chest thumping, um, I don't know whether you nipped off and got your. No. Full, I, don't, I don't know whether you nipped off and got your full kit on, but um... yeah, no, I, I I actually sat with <laughs> I sit with my half kit on all the time. But no, no, you're the one who mentioned badge thumping and chest bumping and all that because you you got you got carried away with passion with a you um, as though it's a nightclub <laughs> that you once were DJing in. Um, uh, you know, you got completely carried away with that conflation, but that wasn't quite what I was saying. I mean, we we stumbled to agreement in the end during the text thread, but you know, I I, ju- I guess we're just looking for answers, really. I mean, that's the truth of this. And it's really confusing because on paper we have a great we have a great we do have a a really good first eleven. I think we see the same problems. I just don't think we agree on what the cause is. I think we agree to an extent, but I think it's the the percentages of uh, of, of weight that you put on uh, the perspectives which might be different. Mm. That might be uh, different. I mean, one thing that I'm trying to work out for myself is that we seem to be lacking playing instinctively. We seem to be very rigid in how we play, and I don't. I don't know how much of that is on Nuno and his tactics and how much of that is on the player, the players themselves. So, I mean, I think that's on Nuno. I think what Nuno is looking for is ball circulation deep. Uh, and then once we decide to attack, to, to attack very, very quickly through the middle, very, you see those straight balls straight down the middle. And that's what he's looking for. So, so we're not we're not creating kind of volumes of chances, which I think is one of the problems that Harry Kane is having at the mor- mm. at the moment. You know, if you if you create four chances from Har- for Harry Kane in a the game, then he's going to get you know one or, you know clear cut chances. He's going to be putting you know one or two of those away, and we're not creating volumes of chances. And um, I, th- I think that narrowness makes it quite easy to defend against. I think you're going to see a lot of the bottom half of the t- of the division pack that central area because we're going to find it difficult to get through. You know, conversely, um, and you know, I'm jumping ahead again, but I think actually Manchester United next weekend suits us better because Manchester United will come out and attack us, which means that we can play on the counter. There's, there's space to attack into. I, I think we'll probably play better against Manchester United than we will against West Ham. I think Burnley midweek is probably going to be a tougher game for us than Manchester United because Burnley are going to be quite happy to drag that out penalties. So 
I suppose conversely, once again, in this uh, in this pod of, of eddying tides that keep on coming back onto theories, are we back at plumbers and draftsmen? And let me make this the final question for this segment of the pod. Are we back looking at a manager who is, you know, a, a really a, a great plumber when, you know, we need someone who can deal with real, a, a draftsman who can really deal with, 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 with what he's got, which is more akin to the tools that a draftsman would work with than a plumber. I mean, does he think that he's managing spanners and we've got like something completely different here? I, I, and again, I'm not blaming Nuno. It's, it's, it's not his fault. You, you can only be who you are. Mm. You know, and this goes to whenever I see players criticise, you know, why doesn't he play like Christian Eriksen? Well, it's because very few fucking people in football can play like Christian Eriksen, you absolute numpty, whoever you are. Uh, so are we are we really getting carried away with the weight of expectation here? And is there too big a, a, a gap between the players he has and the manager he is? I think with a better manager, um, we would see quite, quite a dramatic improvement quite quickly. I don't think that um, the system... You know, his approach suits the players we've got. I think we've got players who are better suited to a ball-playing game, uh, trying to hold possession and create chances. I think we're still a few players short from being the finished article. But I think, you know, in terms of, you know, we, we probably need to ban the word the words "painful rebuild." But I think we're quite a long way along that. <laughs> I, th- I, I, I think we're I think we're quite a long way along that now in terms of like, you know, the, the, the team that got to the Champions League final. There aren't many of those players left now. So I think. We have refreshed a lot of that. I need another doctor. Yeah, it's currently in rebuild. intensive care at the moment. <laughs> I think Nuno's a caretaker. He was yeah. brought in because uh, our primary targets weren't available or were, or, or didn't you know, didn't want to take it. I think there is a lack of direction in how we're playing. You know, we talked about Nuno's playing style, but I don't think it's very well suited to us or suited to a club with our ambitions. And it's not getting the best out of the players. I felt for a while that he'll probably only be with us for a season, and they'll be replaced in the summer. So rather than one positive and one negative, let's throw this in another direction. How about one thing that you'd leave the same and one thing you'd change, whether that be a question of opportunity or whether that be a question of immediate action? It can be on the pitch, off the pitch. It can be wherever. I think we'll take a slightly more holistic view to that final. It's usually one positive, one negative, but I think the questions we're asking tonight are probably a little deeper and probably require a little bit more of a holistic uh, reaction, if you will. I won't ask you to do it in 30 seconds, but if you do, it'll be spectacular and it'll get you on the board of uh, efficiency. Okay, let me start. Okay, I would absolutely stick with the four players we have in defence. I think that they are forming Mm -hmm. a really good partnership. I think they're doing some really stellar work overall. I I see relationships building between all four. And, you know, I, I think that there's got to be uh, some a core stability there that 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 can only help us. And the one thing I would change is I think whenever we play a side who are equal or lesser, I would only play one of Skip or or Pierre. I think that would, and that's an immediate thing. That's my immediate thing. I think dealing with what we've got now, because I do think. We have to believe as a football club that we can impress ourselves on some teams more than perhaps others. And I, th- I, I look, maybe I'm in denial, but I think today was a game where we really could have done that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's me. But 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 think far and wide. If if you want to think about you know upstairs, downstairs, sideways, whatever. And I'd agree with both of those. Can I do you a you, Steph, and have um, two things to change? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So against teams that sit back. 
I wouldn't be playing Mora, I'd be playing Lacelso, and I would be playing him on the right. And the reason I was saying on the right is that he can come in onto his stronger foot and get shots away, but also it means he can play diagonal balls into the box and pass there. So that's why I was saying that. And Undembele wouldn't have that option from that position. And I think when I was talking about late in this game, I was talking about Undembele dropping back, Brian filling that number 10 spot. And uh, that's what I was talking about late in the game. But I think against teams that are going to sit back, um, I think you need a lock picker. And Mora isn't a lockpicker. The other thing I'd change, if one of the managers becomes available who fits with our long-term vision, and I don't believe that Nuno is that, then I think that we might have to bite the bullet. I think we might have to get shot of him mid-season. Now, the obvious candidates for that is Pochettino's one. If um, PSG managers don't have a long shelf life, you know, I think I've bought bananas that have lasted longer than the PSG manager. Um, (laughs) And... Lord. <laughs> uh, so I think you know if if he were to get the the sack, then you know that's one option. And you know we're led to believe that um, he was open to a return in the summer. So if uh, and you know and PSG wouldn't talk, to, would, you, you wouldn't release him. So if the, if he became available, that's an option. The other one that I find uh, tantalising is uh, Marcelo Gallardo at, at River Plate. He's had a fantastic record there. Um, his contract is up in December. He's done really really well he he wants to move to Europe and has turned down moves to Europe before because he wanted to see out the season so I think there's rumours that we contacted him this summer I think um, he was Roma's first choice as well and he's been linked with the Barcelona job before uh, he's yep. he feels to me like a manager that's a bit like a kind of ideal player signing in that um, there's a bit of risk there he's probably a little undervalued because he's kind of not tested in in Europe currently but it feels like there's a very high yeah so it's high risk but it feels like there's a very high sailing if it pays off and I think if we don't go for him and get you know didn't go for him now then I think it might be one of those where yeah this is our only option only chance of getting him you know he's he's won everything there he's done really well he's inspirational he's uh, flexible in terms of tactical approach, although he's got some core um, characteristics that he sticks to. He, you know, in terms of formation, uh, he, he, he he's he's adaptable, and he's been able to cope with losing key players and replacing them. It's it would be a big a big gamble, but maybe we just need to shake things up. I like that. Yep. Agree with all of that. Um, in terms of one thing, I'd keep the same. I would agree our solidity in defence and um and uh, and our solidity in general. I'd keep in terms of what we change. For me, it has to be the manager. I think it's a big um, elephant in the room that he is a uh, he is everything, but in in actually coming out and saying it, an interim manager. Um, and I think that's becoming quite prevalent now. I think everyone um, we're all aware that that is that is what the situation is. Um, you know, it was hard for him to come in as as not the first choice, and it's just got harder as as uh, as he's not like hit the ground completely running as as we we uh, want or demand or as as the club demands. Um, tactically, I don't feel the players are suited to his tactics. I, I, I'd be interested to know what he would do. I'm not saying he's as good a manager as Moyes, but I'd be interested to know how his tactics would work with this current West Ham side. You know, mm-hmm. would they would they still be in the same position they are? Would they or would they be worse off? I'd like to think they'd be there or thereabouts. You know, because I think he that they have the players to suit what he's after. Um, you know, and I, I don't I don't I don't say that because I want him gone. I don't say that because you know I, I I'm I'm throwing my toys out of the pram. I'm saying it in a very level headed way. I think you know um, I think he came in and much respect to him for coming into a job that is potentially um, maybe maybe not the right fit. 
you know, and, uh, but but he is doing his best. And uh, I'm very interested in this um, Gallardo who you talk about Milo because, uh, you know, from just from the articles you've sent, I'm like, wow, this could, this, this guy could be something special. Um, and we're not a club that can go in and poach uh, uh, an elite level manager from another, from, from another, from an elite level club. But, you know, look at what Arsenal did with Wenger. Wenger was someone when he was brought in mm. who no one knew who he was. Um, and, and, and history speaks for itself there. I mean, I think potentially he's a level manager. I think it's kind of, you know, we're just all a bit parochial and that's not me having to go, you know, being yeah, rude about you. I think, enough, you know, enough. it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, we don't watch South American football week Absolutely. in, week out. You know, I think if you, if you translate what he's done, uh, with River Plate into a European club, then, um, we wouldn't stand a chance of getting him. I, I, I think, you know, I, I I'm not Nuno out. Uh, in the, you know, I think I you know, agree with everything you st- said, Steph, about kind of the difficult circumstances he's found himself in and, um, the way he's conducted himself. I've got a lot of respect for him. Been incredibly brave, hasn't yeah, he? Absolutely. I don't think he's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's a great fit for us, but, you know, if it goes to the end of the season because a manager who fits our long-term vision isn't available, mm. I'm fine with that. But I think if one of those managers is available, you know, and they're willing to join us, then I think maybe we've got to just, we've got to go for it. Oh, you're correct. We cannot afford to let another one get away. We had one and we got rid of him, but we can't afford to let another one get away if one becomes available. You're absolutely right. And so I think, you know, uh, again, just to add and make sure people are very clear, this is not a call for Nuno to be out this is this is a rational perspective on choices that might have to be made if they're there to be made and uh on that basis i I completely agree with everything that's been said guys okay well thanks very much chaps uh i think that you know it was it was an interesting one uh that because we we had the week that was we've had the game that has been uh usually they're fairly separate entities but today the tides just kept on returning and the themes kept on returning through and through and uh i, I found it interesting we ended up back at harry winks in several <laughs> uh moments i mean is this season is harry winks a definitive player for this season to be discussed on another pod not now so thanks very much indeed but what we will discuss now for just a few minutes is that we go to burnley uh no, we don't go to Burnley in five minutes. Oh, we go to Burnley on Wednesday. Sorry, I was reading my notes and I just think it's a Burnley five minutes. <laughs> we go to Burnley on Wednesday <laughs> in the League Cup. Our second Claret and Blue encounter in four days. Yes, indeed. And uh, quite possibly with a fairly similar approach. One might say that Sean Dyke is not known for sending out uh, Burnley sides with flair and uh, and, and, and style. Uh, he is also, um, I think, what we politely call a pragmatist. Uh, that's the, the right way of putting it. So who should play? Let's all play Nuno for a moment. Uh, what do you do, Milo? Are you going to put the same... How many of these players from today go go to Burnley on Wednesday and get told to put a shift in? So I think I'd do what we talked about earlier on. I think I'd probably look to rotate out four, three or four players who are feeling fatigued the most. So how are Burnley going to approach this? They're going to sit back, aren't they? They're going to defend in numbers. They're going to hoof it long and then try and feed off scraps. I want... To be able to unpick that defence, so I, I, I am going to bring the Celso in for Mora. I'm going to play... I'd like to rest one of Sun or Kane. Let me help you. Let's rest Sunny. Let's leave Kane. I think Harry needs... I think Harry plays very well when he's on the pitch more regularly. So in which case, Bergwin's coming in for Sunny, isn't he, on that side? I think you keep Dembele where he's been playing. He's been playing well there. Yeah, I mean, maybe actually, maybe this is the game to play. Is this a game for Delhi? Well, no, I was just wondering about whether this is a game to play in Dembele in central midfield in that um, Burnley are going to uh, bypass it. Um, so, um, <laughs> so, 
so, you're saying he'll have a night off by proxy, well, but possibly be able to do some great stuff. He'll have he'll be unattended. I don't think you have to worry about Burnley players running at him in in central midfield. I, think, I mean, he, he's play, he's played there plenty anyway. I think he, he's fine there. But actually, um, his ball playing from from deeper could be an asset and running at them. And, you know, as you were saying earlier on, against some of these teams, we don't need to play Skip and Hoybier, so maybe that's what I'd do. No. And I think I'd want to stick with Dyer and uh, Romero. They're playing well. I think maybe, yeah. I'm just trying to think about the rotation there. What I definitely wouldn't do is play Galini. He was, at, yeah. I, know, I know we missed this earlier oh. on, but he was shocking yeah. against uh, Vitesse. We did miss he, it. He, he concedes the same goal every single time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd say I'd, I'd like to, like, claim some some points for this for picking up on his second appearance or, or whatever it was but every single goal is identical that he concedes and I must admit I would give serious consideration to not playing him anymore because there's an obligation to in, in his loan deal there's an obligation to buy and I'm really worried that we're going to get numbered with him and he's not good enough he's, he's an upgrade on heart but not by much yeah oh he's a young joe hart in the making and i don't without the positive bits of the young joe hart it has to be said he's caught as you say he's accelerated into old heart territory yes well called i agree i agree with you i i, I hope sean dice isn't listening to our pods because if it goes to penalty shootouts he's just going to say just just go to his left side <laughs> yes right <laughs> Uh, in, in fairness, though, Ram, oh, yeah, he's not going to need to listen to our podcast to figure out something that actually is probably as obvious as the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. But I take your point. I mean, I hope Sean Dyke is listening to our uh, podcast because now I've got the feeling that if he is, he'd be like, OK, stick someone on that Andombele and take him out. Oh, dear, there it is. He wouldn't. And that's a terrible impression of Sean Dyke. I'm so sorry. Sean Dyke, a man who I have met and spent time with, and he's actually a lovely bloke, super sharp, and really smart, I have to say. He is a really sharp guy. Sorry, just a, uh, off a tangent, did you read the interview with um, Trippier that was out recently? Sorry, I've, I've done what everyone's doing, is since he's gone to the continent, giving him a, uh, pronouncing his name all, uh, all fancy. Trippier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Trippier. Uh, <laughs> Is that a cravat I see sneaking out of your uh, shirt? <laughs> no, he he was talking about um, how much he likes um, Sean Dyke and uh, how he he was hoping yeah. that he'd um, be able to go and coach with him once he's finished playing. Nice, yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, I, I have to say, you do Sean Dyke does project a certain reputation when you look at him, uh, but it just goes to show uh, that that uh, that old cliche and never judge a book by its cover is uh, completely true. He was he was. Very, very articulate, really erudite, and 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 you know was really actually also extremely uh, congenial. Uh, you know, all things that he didn't doesn't have to be when approached by a member of the public, especially one who at the outset says they're a Spurs supporter. Everything he's done with Burnley, it has to be said. Talk about punching above your weight. Mm. Mm. Be very interesting if he got the nod to go to Burnley. They were um, uh, to go to Newcastle. I mean, he won't. But I, I wonder what he'd do if he had more money yeah. at his disposal. It'd be an interesting. Yeah, I, I thought he would have been a good choice for Everton this summer. Yeah, well, uh, and I and some would say that given the that given the recent regression up there, you've got a, a whole bunch of blue nose scousers who agree yeah, with you. Love but, him. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so okay, I mean, I look, I I really personally have nothing to add to what uh, to what Milo said there. I think he's got it nailed on. I I, I agree. Uh, I'd possibly be trying to find room for Delhi in there in in the number ten, but I I I would be equally quite happy to stick with what you suggested there, and uh, and and let's see what happens i mean you know are, are these tournaments is this and the, the proletariat champions league i mean are these you know, 
it's such a confusing season because we're so tan- we're tantalizingly within grasp of this fourth place, but we just seem unable to take any control of that destiny. So do we take these? Do we have to go for these trophies, or are they just going to continue to be uh, a hindrance? I'd like us to go for the domestic cups. I, st- I think we have a strong enough team and squad to go for the domestic cups. I think it'd be brilliant to win some silverware. Um, the, the the Europa Conference League. The more and more it goes on, the more I'm losing interest. <laughs> if I'm totally honest, um, but um, but again, it, it's a trophy, and I know I I know it's uh, not the hipsters. Uh, choice to say that i'd rather finish top four than um than win a trophy because i and i used to be that person that was like we need to we need to win a trophy regardless but i'd be happy with the league cup right now i'd want us to win the, the league cup and then finish in the top five Great. or six places so win at burnley for you yeah get up there and do the job do you agree with that milo i mean my priority for the season at the beginning was top four finish i think it's um really important for the club and yeah, just the money, and but also keeping a rival out. Um, but it's going to be really tough, and I think we're probably dependent on other clubs screwing up in order to do that. But there seems plenty, plenty of clubs willing to give that a go at the moment, so you never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have set us up perfectly for the tapping. There are plenty of sides who look at, well, not plenty, there are a few sides around who look very keen to uh, absolutely screw up their chances of fourth when they really shouldn't. And we will be playing one of the champions uh, of that particular division, next Saturday at tea time uh, and that team of course is Manchester United uh, first of all I'd like to personally send my gratitude to both Manchester United uh, players and management for uh, managing to take the heat off us this afternoon uh, the manner of their defeat to Liverpool was uh, broadly speaking disgraceful and uh, I have to say in detail absolutely baffling I, I mean you know from the selections on down you've got to say that is a club which once again appears to have a manager who, as well-intentioned as he is, simply does not seem able to handle the squad he's been given. And look, we've had sympathy for him in as much as I think we all agree that there are a couple of cards in his deck that he doesn't necessarily want to deal with. Having said that, what's going to happen? What do we think? So I think, as I said earlier on, I think this is a a game that better suits us than the teams that sit back. So Manchester United are going to come out, that creates space. And uh, so, you know, we're set up to play against a team like that. I'm a bit sad that Pogba got himself sent off because... I think the big problem Manchester United have got is that the board there have taken a bit of a kind of kid in a sweet shop approach to the transfer market, haven't they? Where they've gone out and bought everyone and without much uh, regard to how you fit them into the team. And I think as a result of that, um, Solskjaer's got the unfortunate job of trying to, you know, he's got a load of undroppables there, but he's got to try and find a way of playing them together. And he, he hasn't been able to do that. And there's a lot of players who are being played in positions that maybe they're not less well suited to in order to accommodate Ronaldo it's a, it's a game that better suits us um, I would be picking the team that started today I think actually Nunes tactics will be quite well suited to this game although I don't like them I think it's um, it's probably the right choice for this game and Man United are as much of a mess as we are at the moment I'm going to go with my instincts on this and I'm going to say we will win um, which goes against uh Milo I'm not sure if you said this before the pod or at the beginning about Man with with um Solskjaer whenever his back's against the wall and it looks like he has nowhere to go he he pulls out he pulls something out of the bag which would suggest that Man United would beat us and I think they they that he was in that position before a couple it was either last season or a couple of seasons ago and he managed to pull pull out a win I think he had like Chelsea and us in the row or something like that and um and he got the results he needed but I feel like I feel like we're going to we're going to um step up and I feel like being at home 
um, will galvanise us. I think um, I think Pogba is is a plus because uh, the last time we played them, I think he was on the bench, and when he came on, he um, mm. he, he was a difference maker. Um, and I just I just think this might be a step too far after after today. I think you know that uh, uh, Steph, as you rightly said, I think it took us out the headlines completely. We were a footnote on BBC Sport mm. um, on the sports page, but I think we win. I think we'll get three points, and if anything to go by by this season, where you know we've uh, we've won five lost four those first three wins have shown me actually like if if, if you had said to me today um you know would you take a draw with West Ham I'd have been like yes um but but a loss to West Ham and a win against Man U gives us three points imagine if we got two draws it's, it's better than two draws essentially mm. drawing against Man U and drawing against West Ham which would probably be probably be the bookies kind of you'd probably get good odds on that um so for me I would look at it as a, as a point gained on what what would be the, uh, essentially the mean um I think we'll do it um I don't you know uh, I, I'm basing that on on the fact that I think Man U are just in a worse position than we're in we're not playing dreadfully we're not playing you know we're not all over the place we're just unspectacular playing it safe not being adventurous enough and so I think on our day we can turn it on when we start playing a bit more instinctively and we've shown that in in some of the games so far I mean, I think this comes down to uh, two very simple uh, factors. I think we need to recognise that as a football club, uh, whilst we are in a mess, they are in a bigger mess. They are below us in the table. Their problems are, are fairly deep, fairly systemic and fairly great and have been for the last few years. And I think that our name players, if you want, our marquee players, our leaders have to show up with that extra belief. I think that home turf will definitely give us that. We do seem to be a little rattled by uh, away crowds this season, Newcastle notwithstanding. Um, so I agree. I think that we will find a way to do it. Um, and uh, I, 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 you know, I, I think it, Pogba being out, yes, you're right, off the bench. I mean, we have to remember he was dropped today and the, you know, it was disastrous. I mean, for, well, I mean, just, I mean, he brought in two midfielders in McTominay and Fred supposedly to tighten things. And then he's got Rashford and Greenwood for pace uh, and Fernandes. And uh, just what a bomb. I mean, it was awful. I mean, you know, Liverpool were cutting through them with ease. Uh, I think their central defence is, is really not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's absolutely get atable, if that is a word. I've always felt it was. Um, and, you know, I, I really also think that, you know, I think Ronaldo makes it so much about him yeah. that I think that's where you're both right in, in the sense of, you know, when you've got a pragmatic manager who plays with the system and has plans and sticks to plans, and likes, it's very easy to develop a system for that player to not be as big a threat. And I think our defence has been very, very strong overall. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it has. So I agree. And I just hope that, you know, I hope that Harry and Sonny and, and and Tangy, I hope that they just look at the table and are like, you know, whatever anyone says, we're better than them and we're at home. And so let's stick it to him. Let's hope it happens. I think it will. Tea time should be fun time <laughs> next Saturday. That's what I think. Uh, well, hey, this was fun. I I, I mean, I I never think discussions after losing to them is going to be fun. Uh, but this was fun. Uh, I think we did. Yeah, but what it does show me is that there's a lot more to discuss this season because, you know, there are definitely, uh, there's no one place to place a blame, is there? And we all want to because instinctively as football supporters and fans, you want a reason. You want that reason. It's his fault. It's that fault. It's this. It's that. It's never that simple, is it? It just no. isn't. 
It just isn't. Okay. Well, that being said, thanks, chaps. Cheers, Steph. Thanks, Steph. Okay. Uh, we will be back next week with a look back at our games against Burnley and Manchester United. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, so give us a follow and say hello. And if you like this pod, and even if you don't have a spare two minutes, make a spare two minutes and tell everyone on iTunes via review how much you love it. And if you're listening on your phone, you can do it right now. As always, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.